LMFM Sunday Sport. Your sport, your station. Now, for the next hour or so, we're going to be discussing some of the best and worst, I suppose, of 2019. I've got Colin Nally, uh, Mead football coach, and as you said yourself, Colin, uh, you're a dub, you're, li- you're living in now, you've been involved with Newtown Blues, you're involved with Mead now, so you've been all over the North East, certainly, and uh, we've got John Green as well, sports editor with the Sunday Independent. We're going to look back on some of our uh, memories from 2019. There's uh, one common uh, common ground, I suppose, one piece of common ground between the two lists you sent me, and you both give me your your, ta- your five uh, uh, sort of memories from the year but Colin I suppose we might start with you anything in particular you want to start with from the year that, that stands out for you um, I suppose the, the thing that stands out for me David my, my favourite sporting moment this year was Newtown Blues winning their third championship in a row mm, I figured that um, might be in there yeah <laughs> incredible achievement and um, incredible bunch of young men um, like there's ha- hardcore them that's been involved in the last six county final days three as minors and now three as seniors it's incredible like their, their attitude mm. their hunger um, the leadership that the older players show everything about it is just incredible and it's, and it's, it's a privilege to be involved with them mm. because you watch these young lads grow from kids to um, to adults like I started working with a lot of these lads when they were seven years of age and it's like the quote out of um, Forrest Gump like it's like a box of chocolates mm. you don't know what you're going to have mm. you don't know whether these guys are going to stick to playing football or they're going to enjoy football or they'll take to it and just to see them come through and flourish and integrate with likes of Andy and um, Colm George and these fellas it's, it's brilliant and um, there's loads of buzzwords at the minute now about culture and stuff like this within clubs and um, like culture really is um, is is the way people do things and the way the Newtown Blues do their things is is, is credit to the club mm. to the people that's involved you yeah. know, and what they try to pass down so it's great to see you know that baton being handed down to them fellas yeah and I actually ended up doing the commentary on that game because Colm uh, Corrigan was laid up at the time so myself and Decky Byrne did the commentary for it and I mean like let's be honest it was probably all over after maybe 10 or 12 yes, minutes yeah. but the funny thing about that one was obviously last year it was very tight and of course you kind of snatched it right at the end I suppose mm-hmm. you could say and I was chatting to Eamon Doyle here of course who's uh, involved with Sean O'Mahony's himself and I was sort of saying well you know the, the Martins will be, will be really keen to kind of you know make it count this year but what I hadn't thought about and something you probably will, will recognise is Eamon says yeah but he says you have to remember Newtown Blues have been listening for the last year about how they robbed it and they'll be going out to, to put down a marker and that, like, that game was over after 12-15 minutes was that was that part of the motivation do you think? Yeah well it was look, look talk about the perfect storm in a way um, we had a very poor performance against uh, Clark Head in the semi-final so um, the lads really focused on trying to do like we got to right kick up the arse as such but um, Ronan the manager and with all the other selectors we, we, we figured we were out taught last year on the line mm. by Monster Boys so what we did was as soon as we qualified for the final we had to come up with a few different strategies and try to throw a few um, sort of different scenarios at them and, and that's what we did so we actually out taught them yeah. in the second match so I mean we were really on our guard because of that because we were outfoxed and we, we put our hands up and we were saying there's no problem outfoxed but we wanted to do the outfoxed the next day so we come up with some strategies about um, different ways of attacking the different um, sort of setups and mm. different man marking jobs and, and it, it all worked and I think we just caught them on the hop mm. and as I said we got a f- perfect start so it's difficult for them to bounce back Yeah and I mean you know you get that perfect start as I said um, but I guess the, the question is you talk about the young lads coming through there's enough youth there to potentially do four in a row well they still have the hunger they're back in the gym now at the moment they're following the gym programmes um, their um, new exciting young manager Darren Moore taking over and again all the usual crew would be rowing in behind them and and um, it's it's funny right um, we're going to talk about Dublin later on and um, like Jim 
Jim Gavin was the first to start talking about processes and that he's there to serve and he's just a facilitator. Mm. And it really is similar to the Blues. Like the Blues is kind of self-driven. Like um, you've got enough leaders in the team. You just have to give them a little bit of guidance, um, structure and organisation. And they're very, very self-driven. And they're the best teams to coach because the teams that you know are, are motivating themselves, the teams that have their own hunger, right? they're, they're a dangerous beast to stop. Mm. Uh, and that's what them lads are at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. What you said there at the start about culture, like, you know, there's no such thing really, is there, a, 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 as a winning culture or a losing culture winning and losing will come out of whatever the culture in the club is yes and if you've got you know leaders if you've got people that have social awareness and social responsibility mm-hmm. and community then winning comes from that yes, uh, yeah. and it sounds to me and the, the Dublin's a good comparison because it sounds to me that if you have all those things in place then the winning is at the end of the process yes but but John what I find too is a lot of people uh, mistake culture and spirit yeah you know, like um, spirit is, 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 a, is a force that influences the will of people, right? So um, if you have a few guys there, right, and they've got great spirit, you're going to influence so a lot of the lads around you. So we have, we, have, we have some great leaders there with great spirit and love the game and love what they're doing. And these young fellas have come in and they've been inspired by them. So, you know, with the mixture of culture and, and spirit, it's just it's, it's perfect and, and they just want more now they just you know when you're surrounded by people like that you, and you come into that setup, you, you don't want to let it down Absolutely. and you feel that responsibility yeah. and, and you grow into it you do and, and um, they put demands on you because they want um, they want the best training they want the best coaching like they've set high standards so when you drop your standards they notice and they let you know and, and that's the I suppose the, the, the culture and the spirit that you're talking about really isn't it yeah no it's um, as you say it's a, it's a testament to the success they've had and, and I don't think anyone would bet against the Blues doing a four in a row and who knows maybe beyond that as well uh, John we'll come over to you now your uh, first one any anyone off that list that you wanted to you start with well I suppose the, uh, you know you asked us to send in five different things each and I suppose we've kind of moved into touching on Dublin mm. so maybe we could start with mm-hmm. uh, we could take Dublin as yeah. it's on both our lists and uh, uh, the way I said I think you you said uh, Dublin and five in a row be, being a double that's the way you were looking at it and I was I, mm. I sent it into you slightly differently uh, Dublin's wins and the GA and you know there's they're two slightly different things and I've spoken on this programme before and I'll say it again I don't necessarily buy into the idea of the the financial doping argument I understand that it's part of it but there is a lot more to this than uh, uh, um, just financial doping and it's actually really interesting in the last few weeks early in the last two weeks since Jim Gavin stepped away and now we've got a new manager in Desi Farrell and now all of a sudden people aren't talking about financial doping they're talking about a possible vulnerability in the Dublin setup going into next year and the, you know, the continuity that mightn't be there because Jim Gavin what players are going to step down and all of a sudden we're not hearing about financial doping so that just kind of shows you that it's just a bit of an easy argument. Mm. I'm not dismissing it because you mm. couldn't dismiss it because you know there. When you look at Dublin's accounts this week, it was you know it was yeah. commercial revenue of uh, was it two point one million mm-hmm. or yeah. something like yeah, that. That's what it you was, know, yeah. I mean that's, but like that two point one million has to go a long way. There's a lot of teams to be like every underage team in Dublin from I don't know fourteen up mm-hmm. in football hurling, camogie and ladies football is looked after properly mm-hmm. gets fed after training and all that so they, like yeah. this money has been spent well mm. in terms of the five in a row itself I mean the way it was done that it was carried that there was a draw and a replay yeah. that they were <sighs> lucky is probably the wrong word but you know that you know it took every ounce of their brilliance and their experience mm. to, to get them the draw the first day yeah. I was at the first game uh 
I couldn't go obviously with work, working on a Saturday to the replay but the I don't know were you, were you there Colin but mm-hmm. it, 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 the injury time when they were trying to get that equalising score was just absolutely mind blowing mm-hmm. I was blown away by Dublin in the mm-hmm. way man down the way they hunted in packs although Kerry couldn't get they suffocated Kerry mm-hmm. yeah. suffocated them mm-hmm. And Cluxton was coming out picking up the, yes, the spare yeah. man and everything. And that, that didn't come from Jim Gavin. No. That came from yeah. the leaders and Kieran Kilkenny was mm-hmm. unbelievable in that Super. Se- six, yeah. I don't know how many minutes of injury yeah. time was there? Seven, was it? Or yeah. whatever. Six or seven minutes of injury time and like the hunger of them to turn mm-hmm. the ball over and, and to several people put themselves in the position to take the chance yeah. to try and get the equalising score Connolly did it yeah. the one, was it O'Callaghan the one that Hawkeye ruled mm. out yeah. and then you got the equaliser mm. and it was thoroughly deserved yeah. just for that alone and then there was the added little thing just for me just to mention just uh, you know as not from from Longford originally but living in Slane a long time to have to have a Slane man referee in the game and yeah. to do such an outstanding job on it as well was, was something else that st- stuck with me on the day yeah. as well. Mm. And Colm, you know, when you're obviously you're immersed in coaching for, for so long now, when you're watching a game like that, I presume you find yourself watching out for all these patterns and like you could probably spot mm-hmm. something in th- 10 seconds that the rest of us mightn't see at all. So I'd say you probably must, you must love watching those sort of high level games as well, especially when you've got the likes of Dublin involved and what they do. And, and I presume you're, you're maybe you're learning a little bit yourself. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm a fan of coaching. Um, it doesn't matter what sport, really, because I just I just I think it's the dynamics of of um, of coaching in, in team sports is fantastic. And, and I'm just a big fan of that. And um, I've, been, I've been involved for years in as a tutor with Leinster, as a coach educator and stuff like that. But I feel um, the biggest learner is the games and the biggest learner is, is these games. Um, your greatest resource as a coach is other coaches. And I'd be pally with fellas like Donny Buckley, who, who coaches Kerry. We, we would talk and, and he would tell me things. I was thinking of right. Donny while you were talking there, because yeah. there's the ultimate example of a guy who goes out and looks at other sports to take stuff back without to doubt, his own sport. Without. And even, um, um, I, I've kind of shared him a few ideas that we're trying to do and he's expanding on it. And it's brilliant because then you get stuff back and forth. But what they did, um, Kerry, in the first game was, um, they, they was the, you know, there's all fancy terminology for it, but they had a, um, a front sweeper and a back sweeper. And the front sweeper was a, had to be an attacker, and his job was to tag all these runs. So they threw um, a spanner at Dublin around the first half, in the first match at Dublin, um, had to think on their feet and come up with the plans to get it, and it nearly worked for Kerry, and that was fantastic. So everybody was was dying to see what was going to happen to the second team, and I think what Kerry did was they decided that they wanted to throw another spanner to works, and they went away from what they did in the first match which actually gave the advantage back back to Dublin. Like if they had to probably stuck to, you know, their convictions of the first match, they might have even um, executed it better. Um, but Jim Gavin and his coaching crew are fantastic. And, and I, I always take notes and I'd be watching and I can never understand how they make the correct decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. And and I'd love to see what they do because like he he constantly talks about um, them practicing the skills and the basics and, you know, if, if their skill set is good. Um, everything else follows but you know like they're not just kicking the ball back and forth to the Madrain I'd love to know what to do and how they make the correct decisions all the time Have, have you any theories on that? Because their their decision making rate is extraordinary um, correct decision making like. I, I, I coached um, a few teams in Dublin and got to know a few players like Darren Daly and, and Kieran Kenny and you're always I was I would call it I was always had my radar open for Dublinisms so they might make a quote or say a word and you're saying to yourself, that's come from the training ground, you know. So um, you pick up a few things like that. Um, their A versus B matches are legendary. And I think a lot of it comes from that. Um, they plan them matches as 
um, real matches. Like there was a joke going around that never came from Dublin camp. The jokes used to go around the hardest matches they ever had was in Leinster, yeah, yeah was A and B, and and so all the learnings in that. And I, I, I would love to see how that's that's all closed doors, ref, mm. you know, behind scene. Nobody sees what happens there. But um, I think a lot of it comes from that, and they're playing matches like that regular at high tempo. Everybody looking for positions, mm. and and a lot of it comes from that. I would I would imagine. And just before we take a very quick break on to wrap up on Dublin, can you see anyone stopping them in twenty twenty, John? Ah yeah, I mean uh, yeah, you can. And uh, you, you can, you know, you only have to beat them once if you get, you know, and Kerry nearly did it this year. Mm-hmm. And there was probably in in Dublin's kind of end of season performances, there was probably a slight slip on their previous. I mean, but like yeah. I mean, we we're talking mm-hmm. slight, but yeah, there was probably maybe. a slight slip and Kerry had raised it. Kerry are still the team most likely. I'd still I'd like to see what Donegal could be like with the just been really unlucky the last two mm-hmm. seasons they've lost key players to, to very bad injuries I'm not sure what level they're at yet can I see Dublin losing in 2020 yes I can do I think they will I, it'll be interesting to see how Daisy Farrell gets on but you know they're, they're, I think they're 3-1 to one on mm-hmm. favourites again and mm-hmm. I mean that's right that sounds right and yourself Colin I know you obviously you, you might get a crack at them again it, you might get a pitch your wits against them to me um, it hinges on personnel if they keep all their personnel um, they're the team to beat but if Stephen Cluxton steps away I think I think the playing field gets a little bit leveler and I think Kerry and like I said as you say Donegal would, would definitely see that as a, an opportunity OK well we wait and see keep our fingers crossed I suppose up here we'll take a very quick commercial break back with more from John Green and Colin Nelly after that you're welcome back to LMFM Sunday Sport David Sheen with you until 5 o'clock I enjoy, I'm joined in the studio by Colm Nally coach with Mead and uh, John Green sports editor with the Sunday Independent just before we go back to the lads the latest score from the hurling is Mead 118 Wicklow 19 points that's with 27 minutes gone in the second half still 1-0 to Everton at Old Trafford now uh, John just before we went into the break we were talking about the does but you wanted to talk a little bit about the, the state of the GEA in general and you're a little bit concerned about where it's headed yeah well like into, uh, how it links into you know what we were talking about before the break is that uh, another thing about Dublin which isn't credited enough is how well run it is off the pitch and if you run something well if you're well run and you've good governance and you've good financial structures and you've good people in the right positions in your organisation you will have success on the pitch it will follow you know or you have a better chance of having success on the pitch and we're in convention season at the moment and, you you know, over the last two weeks there's been, you know, a barrage of finances and secretaries reports and the number of counties at the moment, which when you look around the country where you see there are question marks around governance about how they're run and then you translate that to what's happening with their on-field performances and it's no coincidence, you know, Cork is a basket case at the minute. I mean, nobody has really got a handle on what their what the debt in Cork GA is at the moment, but it could be anything up to thirty million. The Mayo thing is just extraordinary. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. Story keeps on, on. It's just keeps on giving, as someone said. So, like yesterday evening, the Mayo County Board released their figures for the year. They took in they took in uh, off the top of my head about 3.5 million revenue incredible performance including commercial revenue and fundraising of about 1.2 1.3 million I mean that is superb they still lost money for the year now I appreciate when you're in my own running county teams is a little bit more expensive because of the geography and, and, and all that but it's still like they lost money you know nearly 100 grand on the year the Galway situation where they've got another county with a great sponsor 
questioning what's going on. We had the situation in Mead. We had a situation in Longford where the chairman resigned. We have Offaly where, if, uh, you know, Michael Dignan uh, comes in now to try and clean things up. And the first thing that happens when he's elected uh, to, on, a, on a platform of reform is that several other county officers who had been due to keep their positions stood down immediately. I mean, we're seeing this all over the country and it's worrying um, and the whole county board structures are starting to creak. And I think that's understandable because people are coming through as volunteers. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact now, most county boards are multi-million euro organisations. And we've seen, and we'll, we'll be touching on it later, when you don't have the proper structures in place, you end up like what happened in the FEI, where, you know, all of a sudden this debt is creeping up on you. I, I mean, I'd love to total up the 32 county boards' debt and see what it is. You know, and I, I, you know, I think it would be pretty frightening. So that's the one on the one hand. And then on the second thing is we have the actual, the GAA is there to provide games for all mm. who are interested in playing at whatever level it is. And there is a worry that it's not doing that at the moment, that it is only looking after the elite end and that club players are losing out. Mm. And that would be something I've spoken about before on, on this show. And it's something I'd be really worried about because if we continue to allow the club thing to drift away from what's at the core of the GA, mm. I, I, we lose what the GA is about. And there's no point. People are often saying, oh, look what they do in soccer and look what they do in rugby. And look what they I don't care. They're not, the GAA is not soccer and rugby. That's not the platform on which it is built. It's the only organisation in the, pretty much in the world that is entirely based on place. Mm-hmm. And if we lose that, then you lose the very essence of what the GAA is supposed to be. So don't tell me that this is what happens in soccer yeah. and rugby. They're different sports. Yeah, yeah. They have different ethoses and different mm-hmm. outcomes. And Colin, I suppose you're maybe you're uniquely, uniquely placed to, to comment on that because you're involved obviously with Mead but you're obviously still heavily involved with the club and you have been for a long number of years you've been involved in coaching all your life with kids and everything else all the way up. So do you kind of share John's fear for, for the way the club is being kind of marginalised a little bit? Um, it was very interesting listening to John and um, uh, sort of John's views of it, I, I wouldn't have kind of articulated it like, like that myself. Like I wouldn't have been, you know, and I'm, maybe I'm just saying because I'm so immersed in it, like I'm probably oblivious to a lot of it. But um, like it's always been child first and player first. Um, or sorry, person first. That's what it should always be, the GA. And that's what the attraction was for me and all my family and, and my friends was um, it was a sense of community. It was a sense of belonging to your, you know, where you're from, your friends and whatever. But it has to be person first. It has to be child first. And sometimes you're right, it becomes more than that because the ego takes over and everybody wants to win the um, under 12 championship and the under 16 championship, whatever. And, and then they start losing sight of what we're there for which is to provide games for everybody and that's one thing we always did and like Brian Culprit's brought uh, a culprit, culprit from Cork he's brought out a report an 80 page report and this is very much to the centre of it but um, it has to be led I, I feel right what's happened is um, is people will always say to you um, if you look at young people today um, how much they've changed and compared to us it's wrong we we if we were 18 and 19 now or whatever We'd be playing PlayStation. We'd be doing all the things the kids are doing, right? It's us that need to change. And I feel like what what in in, in t- t- thinking of what John is saying there, um, people are y- young people are more educated now. They have different values. And what's happened is um, the county boards and all these um, organisations they haven't changed with 
the young people are coming through. Yeah. Like for instance, like you only have to look at the explosion of the girls' game in Ireland, which is brilliant to see. It is fantastic. And a couple of things what they've done is like every club has had to up their game in terms of facilities and pitches and all that, right? Which is brilliant. Mm. And it's and they are the lifeblood of GA at the moment, um, the, the girls. They're re-energizing yes, they the association. Yeah, like, like when I when 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 you sent me John's um um picks and I'm thinking I was just trying to do a few um bits. I was looking I think the game has never been as popular. I think the club game is is is, is very popular. I think the viewing figures are, are are back up. I think, I think that's down to the to the girls, right? Mm. The girls want to, um they want to wear the colours. They 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 love the identity. They love the association. Uh, like I know even in, in the Blues, they brought life to the whole place, and 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 they want to be part of it. So I think what's happened is there's been a kind of a sea change that's happened very quickly, and the county boards can't keep up with it. You know they can't keep up with it, and it is costing more money to run a club now and there is new fundraising like it is but they can't gather this money in quick enough they can't they don't know how to spend it or put it back in mm. that's what I feel I, mm. I just feel like I mean it's it's changed dramatically and where your leadership is Crow Park and they haven't been able to adapt yeah. to this change quick enough I agree with that yeah. you know? yeah. so I, I think that's what's happening too you know? yeah so just to, to, to wrap up on the, on this point and I suppose it's the one we could discuss at length but um, you, you're not like I know John was, was kind of talking off air about fear of semi-professionals coming down the tracks mm. and John it sounds like you're, you're fairly convinced that that will happen well, I'm not convinced I'm afraid that unless unless there's enough leadership shown that it, yeah. it could happen and I don't think the GA is set up for semi-professionals and I, and I don't I'm not a fan of the provincial structure I'm, I just don't I think it's outdated and I don't yeah. think it serves the GA any purpose anymore but I absolutely believe in the in the county and club structure absolutely believe in that and I think if you have semi-professionalism then that becomes eroded because mm. semi-professionalism automatically leads to transfers and, and movement of players and etc. Et and I would agree with that because if I'm in a loud dressing room or a me dressing room or whatever, I am full of admiration for all the young men or women that are in there and what they're giving up. And I'm saying to myself, like, like an average now, like the me fellas now um, would be training five nights a week. That's incredible, the mm. dedication and commitment. Now every other county's doing it as well, but yeah. you know, you're saying to yourself, like, how, where is this going to stop? Like, how is this? How are you going? To, the only way you're going to stop it is uh, like when they become semi-professional. It's it's incredible what they put in, and what's happened too, if you notice, is the age profile of a county player has dropped dramatically mm. because it has to suit a student. Yeah, it has to suit a fella. You can't be working and mm. um, <laughs> yeah. holding down a job or a family. I think we have one player on the me panel that has a baby, right. that has a child. Wow. You know, dramatically, like that. Your age profile has dropped completely. That's an, that's an incredible career, statistic. Career, career spans are narrowing as well. Yes, big time. Right. Not, very few are playing after thirty now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. We could, yeah, as I say, it's one we could we could probably talk about for the re- for the rest of the show. But we'll mm-hmm. we'll move on to the next one, John. Um, another one from from your list there. Did you want it? You had a few other little things on there, but I know we might leave the the big the big one that's been dominating the headlines for the last few weeks till the end. But uh, <laughs> you have a few other things on there you might want to well, touch we, on. Just uh, briefly, I was a f- couple of weeks ago. I was at a small uh, little um, fundraising thing that uh, Paul Kimmage from the Sunny Independent organised and it was uh, an evening with um, Shane Lowry, Jack McCaffrey and Gary O'Toole and it was like just a small 80 or 90 people in a room and it was... uh, like Jack McCaffrey I knew a little about from before I mean he's kind of not the archetypal member of that Dublin panel he's a very different guy Mm. he took a year off and went went to Africa and and, you know he's a doctor I think he's worked in Drada yeah that's right seems like a great great character and Mm -hmm. so the two of them rubbed off each other really well but but like I have Shane Larry on my list Uh, um, I think him winning the Open was just one of the real joyous moments of the year for Irish sport Uh, 
because he's just one of those people who we can all relate to because we all know people like him. He doesn't seem to have been affected in any way by fame and fortune. On the night that we got that, got to sit, sit in the audience and watch him being interviewed by Paul two weeks ago, that's exactly how he came across. And he challenged Paul at one stage about Paul saying to him about him being very, very down after not winning for a few years. And like he immediately said, hold on a second. And he said, I was still earning a good living and I was still doing quite well and I didn't mm. have any of the worries that a lot of people have. So I'm very uncomfortable with that. And you, you saw that side to him. But for, for, for an Irish guy who's so popular to win the British Open in Ireland, on the island of Ireland, and to do it the way he did it, leading from the front pretty much the whole way through, mm especially what had happened in Oakmont mm-hmm. in, in 2016 and for for him to be such a universally popular champion it w- was a great thing and I know he got the, the kudos last night mm-hmm. in RTE but he's, he's, he's the kind of guy that nobody has a, a bad thought about there's no begrudgery towards him he's just exactly as he appears to be a nice honest person who's very talented and somebody that we can be really proud of in, in Ireland as, mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a champion and a leader. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you'd, you'd echo that. And, oh, I, and yeah. as I say, it was one of those great stories. And as, as John said, like he's such an affable, he's the big smile, you know, he's the just just a really warm sort of a character and, and a really easy guy to like. It seems to be so generous with, with, with his time and, and with everything and has time for everybody. You see some of the, um, again, modern um, societies, you see him on social media and um, some of the, um, you know, Pictures and get with with fans and everything. Seems to have time for everybody. You yeah. know, really, really good. I remember um, vaguely. Remember um, when I might have been finished playing with Loud at the time, but a lot of Loud players made money on him when he um, won the, the um, in, Baltra- in Baltra- yeah. Yeah, yeah, His yeah. father was down and had told some of his ex <laughs> um, players he used to play against. I was on the 18th back on green you know? that day watching it and yeah. so it's an extraordinary. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I remember a few of the lads. They all had him and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was just incredible. I was up and down. That was like, was it three? Was it three? Three, three holes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was up and down. Yeah, yeah, up and down. Yeah, I was up and down myself. I was, I was soaked to the skin by the end. But yeah, incredible. And as you said, it's just a really a nice, genuine guy. I can tell you that Manchester United have equalised against Everton at Old Trafford. Seventy-eight minutes on the clock in that one. Uh, we're going to take a very quick commercial break. Back with more from the lads after that. We're going to get back to our chat with Colm Nally and John Green now looking back at some of their memories from 2019 and uh, Colm as a Liverpool fan the Champions League final was always going to feature on your list and uh, no, no doubt you were delighted to see that one uh, get across the line and, it's, and a sixth one for them as well which uh, they had that little song we heard Jürgen singing yeah. at the end of the, the, the final so uh, it was uh, I don't know it was, a, it was a, little, a little bit of an anti-climax of a final in a way in terms of the fact they got the goal so early but yeah. I'm sure you didn't really care too much about that No I, I didn't and as I said like as we were speaking off air I've been a fan of um, Jurgen Klopp um, this long time I remember reading an article in 442 when he was the Dortmund coach and it was called Heavy Metal Football and straight away that struck to me and I said I like that you know and I like reading that he only has one suit and he only wears it to weddings and funerals and <laughs> you know I just, I just like I like what he brings to it um, I was reading about that um, that match he has a, a coach there Pep Linders and he came up with the phrase our, indent- our identity is our intensity our intensity is our intensity mm. but um, he went on to explain that in preparation for Spurs they flew the Benfica B team out to Marbella and coached them for a week of how um, Spurs are going to play and um, that goal was worked on and, and you know everything went, went through um, step by step oh, yeah. but yeah, they spent a week coaching the Benfica B team to play how they think Spurs would have played and I was just saying that's incredible um, in depth to go into you know yeah. like, to, to do that right? And so I was actually suggesting to Andy you now maybe that if we were next year to me <laughs> that we fly someone out to maybe a senior team and meet out to Marbella to play as in the challenge 
French, but uh, <laughs> um, no. But um, I said that, like that level of coaching is fantastic to hear that, and I, I'm I'm watching very very closely. Like everybody talks about this gig impressed to play and this high tempo and effort, and um, there's plenty of con- conditional coaches out there that reckon they're going to blow up, you know, and their panels going to be really tested now as they as they go off to the um, World Cup um, club finals and stuff like that. So it'll be really really interesting. Like you look at them, I know it's professional, but they played yesterday and yesterday evening they were on a plane to um, Argentina or whatever mm. it is, you know. So you know if they lose a it's the squad management all that's fascinating yeah, you know, yeah. Really and I mean is. that's where your statistics and everything else come into mm. it and what players are in the red and everything else and just something that John touched on earlier on with you um, would you, you you talked about taking stuff from other sports would you watch the likes of Liverpool and mm. would you be able to pull something from that Absolutely, or what, yeah. what, what could you give us maybe an example of, of what sort of things you might you might take from, from watching someone like Liverpool well what, what I feel what I feel is um, like um like in our game, right? The, the leaders in airfield is Dublin, so you're always watching what Dublin are doing. But I think myself, Dublin have peddled out for years that they um, are heavily influenced by basketball. I think they're heavily influenced by soccer, and I think um, what what they do is to play an awful lot of um, balls into space by the hand, not to the person, but into where the person wants to runs. And that's from Liverpool um, when they're swinging the ball left and right. They put the balls into areas where they want the players to run onto. They don't play it to them, right? That's not a basketball thing in my eyes. That's a soccer thing. So I. Think what, what I think Dublin are very clever at times by releasing you know that you know we're heavily influenced by basketball and then everybody goes and starts looking at basketball <laughs> training videos and that where it's I think there's a huge amount of this and then that pressing has definitely come from soccer mm. that high press like I mean like the four banks now that all the teams are using of, of players like has come from soccer trying to win the ball back within six and nine seconds all that sort of stuff has come from soccer mm. so yeah we, we, we'd be always looking at the likes of that and see but likes of soccer uh, um, and even um, ice hockey and games like this, they're kind of chaotic at times. And the mirror, we can get stuff from that where rugby is kind of structured and set plays really. Mm. And you know, so it, we you can't really get a whole lot of, of information mm. for of rugby. But certainly any other games that kind of has a chaotic element to them, you'd be always looking to to, to right. get something. From, from the rugby, you probably get more from the mental side in terms of leadership, Absolutely. game management, and yes. all that sort of stuff, yeah. rather than actual. Yes. in play tactical play uh, absolutely like they, they have like, I mean the rugby were the first to bring in the likes of this, the mental gym where they'd have all the, the quotes and the sayings around the wall and stuff like that and you know they're very very much driven about making the correct decisions under pressure so mm. you know um, John I know you've got Dundalk on your list I suppose I touched on that a little bit earlier on with Gavin so maybe given that we were, we're probably going to be tight for time we might move on to your, your next one which was the, the minorities and the success of minority sports this year yeah just in terms of I, I will just say about Dundalk that you know I would always have been and, and probably remain not a fan of the League of Ireland. I don't. I think it's an, it's very much been a league and a, and a game and a system of clubs that are stuck in a stuck in a past that was never as glorious as they seem to think it was. And what I admire most about Dundalk is the way that they seem to have managed to ri- rise themselves out of that sort of thinking mm. and place themselves in a different headspace, looking outside of Ireland, looking to the north, looking to England, looking to Scotland, looking to Europe, and the way they have maintained their levels of excellence. You know, that's what I admire about them and given credibility to, to a league that I think struggles at times for yeah. credibility. And I think they deserve huge credit. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that they could lose Stephen Kenny and for Vinnie Perth and I, I remember you know I used to go watch Longford Town playing you know and I, when I was living in Longford and I remember Vinnie as a, you know a good tough combative midfielder for that seamless transition and then you know I think there were what were the 13, 13 points behind at yeah. one stage and the, how impressive they were and in that transition I think 
other clubs could learn a lot from them mm. in the league. That's absolutely. I just mm-hmm. wanted yeah. to touch on no, that. Absolutely, well worth saying. Um, yeah, just in terms of minority sport, I mean, it's, an, it's, a, it's even the phrase isn't nice, you know, and it's probably yeah. a bit offensive. But, you know, the, the less heralded sports, mm-hmm. we're, we're going through a bit of a golden age in terms of. We, we had years where sport in Ireland was so badly structured. The state took no responsibility for it and it was very much up to volunteerism and that's why the GA probably flourished and soccer as well on the ground. Now we have a much more structured system of, of play and sport in the country. We have funding, we have grants, we have targeted grants and now less heralded sports but sports which have always kind of had a tradition in Ireland like boxing mm. which is our number one Olympic sport and even though we're, we're probably not at the top of our game at the minute that under, underneath we're still taking away nicely hockey we're sending a women's team to the Olympics for the first time our men's team was dreadfully unlucky rowing Ireland we've got four boats already qualified in rowing for the Olympics gymnastics we have one of the top gymnasts in the world in Reese McClelland and it, and the perception might be that there's a lot of money going into these sports and and there is but like relatively speaking it's not that huge i was looking at the figures we're spending about uh, 11 million a year on high performance sport in ireland outside of the top field sports of of ga soccer and rugby you compare that to new zealand say which is the country that we cuz mm-hmm. the population yeah, yeah. has one dominant sport we often see the comparisons being made between Ireland and New Zealand. New Zealand will spend three times, over three times that this year in high performance sport. So that gives you an idea of what we're up against. We have Sunita Paspora in rowing. She's won gold medals two years running in the World Championships, gold medal this year in European Championships after being out for several months because of uh, a a family bereavement. Uh, You have Paula Donovan winning another uh, world medal this year. He's, I was looking at his record. He has now won eight top-level medals, an Olympic silver, four world gold medals, and three Europeans, a gold and two silvers. I mean, like, this is yeah, high-end mm-hmm. stuff. And this is... Because we were very, very slow to wake up to how to run sport in this country. And we're still behind. Mm-hmm. We're still 10 years behind the likes of New Zealand. But the improvements are coming. Athletics is the number one funded sport outside of it and we had the successes last weekend. I'm still not convinced athletics are going far enough but mm. you know the money is starting to be converted into into some level of success mm. on the international stage and I think I think we will uh, I think we'll enjoy the Olympics next year. I mean I don't know how many medals we'll win but I think we'll have the biggest team that we've ever had in the Olympic Games and probably the best prepared team mm. that we've ever had. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's uh, it's only when you lay out the figures like that it makes it all kind of hit home how, how well we're doing in those sports, as you say, that they don't maybe get the press that we that we should give them at, uh, at all times. Uh, Column again, just given that we're a little bit up against it time-wise, I know you had Ireland at the Rugby World Cup in there, but I guess the one that I'm looking at on your list there, the promotion um, to Division 1 for me, and I mean, you're probably, you know, uh, reluctant to take too much credit yourself, but I know from, you know, maybe not a coincidence that me get that promotion and get to the Super 8s in your first year in there and I know a lot of the players had an awful lot of time for, mm. for your methods um, I suppose what you know what did you bring to it when you came in like what did you look to, to do and to change with that with that set of players when you came in and you, you coached them and then they got that success getting promoted finally out of Division 2 well what, what, what I um, did as I said it's well heralded now I, I met um, Andy um, and we had a chat and see 
I think this is a sign of him really uh, uh, and, and his passion and, and his vision that he realised that um, he, you know he needed to shake things up he needed to um, you know bring in a verse, uh, another voice he has great fellas around with him Jerry Cooney and Finian Morton and, and Donald Curtis and them fellas you know passionate made men so they decided that they wanted to just you know a different voice in training and like a, a, a lot of my um training and my coaching is as I said to you it's 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 person first. I like to have a bit of fun, I like to have a bit of crack. Um I like to get to know fellas. I like I like to try to um through creative questioning um challenge the players and and get them sort of to come up with scenarios and that. So we've done an awful lot of game based training well, and whatever. Just just on sorry, just on the creative questioning mm. there. What 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 do you mean by that now? Because I that's not an expression I'd heard before and I think people might be interested here. Yeah well what, what you basically do is is you run an activity uh, and um you stop it then and you ask the players, what did you think of that? Why do you think we're doing that? What would you change? You know, what do you think the message is? Uh, and then they start beginning to take leadership of it. And then they start to begin to say, would you not do this? And would you not do that? And that's the way it has to be because they're playing it. Yeah, it's an iterative process. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so now they've kind of bought into this whole process and that's the way our, our, our training goes. Like, And so they're kind of well aware of what the objectives are of the training. So you're not just going in there and aimlessly doing a set of exercises. Everything has a purpose behind it. So they're thinking of why they're doing it. You know, And that's, that's, what, that's what we try to do. Sometimes we're more successful than others so uh, that would all be sort of through games and what 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 the question I ask myself is um, is everything we do is it transferable to the game and if it's not transferable to the game well, there's no point in doing it so that's what I kind of brought to the um, thing is that you try to trans- make, bring transferable sets of activities mm. That's that, that makes a difference to the lads um, it's been brilliant I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it and um, they, they, like it's great to see that they want to improve like every every training session we do we want to improve as a management but we want the players to improve so where you're not really result driven you are result driven but you can't base everything on results you have to see there's improvements and if if, if the improvements are there and if people are buying into the improvements well then you know the results will take care of themselves mm. in the long term and I think I think what me are thinking now is they're trying to rebuild a brand they're trying to get Brand meat out there, and brand meat out there. What brand meat to me was um, sort of tough, aggressive, and um, competitive group yeah. of people, and, yeah. and and trying to get back to that. And yeah. you know, they're definitely nodding to the past days because you can't ignore that. Like it's been a huge influence on them, and um, they want to get back there. But they also want to be in touch with the the new wave, the modern mm. way of doing things mm. as well. And I was listening to your debate about the jersey, and you know, like it's definitely it's 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 part of our um, culture to tip your hat at, you know, the men that went before them, and, and you know, if you if they can instill some of their um, values and beliefs, you know, it would go a long way, I think. Yeah, and and one thing just before we move off, it I, I mentioned last year at the end of the year was the. You know, as you said there, it's not always about results. I came out of the Tyrone game in Navin um, mm-hmm. the season before last, uh, last well, 2018 it would have been, when they got narrowly beaten, of course, and had the free not been given or should have been given maybe at the end, whatever. But I came out of that game and there was two or three young lads, they were like five or six walking out in front of me and had their me jerseys on and one, they had their, I guess it was their older sister maybe who was maybe 13 or something. And one of them turned to the other and he's like, oh, that was, wasn't that amazing? Like, wasn't that fantastic? They lost the game, but mm-hmm. they, like, everyone came away from that game going, that was a, an absolutely fantastic performance. Yeah. Cracking yeah. atmosphere. They left everything out there and really that's all people want mm-hmm. as with any sport Absolutely, that's all you really yeah. want isn't it you want to see lads mm-hmm. given, given and everything and if they win they, then great if they don't mm-hmm. so be it but well I wish all the very best luck with the, with the Division <laughs> 1 campaign because that's going to be certainly it a is, tough yeah. one it's interesting can I just pick up on yeah. that mm-hmm. just for a because I'm really interested in that brand me thing because as an outsider and you know mm-hmm. living in Mead for, for 20 years uh, I would have had a view of Mead before I, I moved into the county and got involved in, in GA in the county and I wouldn't have seen in the last 10 years, I wouldn't have seen that that, that 
the the Mead Club and County setup w- was mm-hmm. part of the values that I would have associated with with Mead, and I think we definitely saw some of that last year. Definitely yeah. could see a change mm-hmm. in, in in how. I mean, obviously there's still a big gap there, there and, is, uh, yeah. but like getting to Division One seems to me to have been the most important thing mm-hmm. that happened Mead football last year, even even. At, Ahead of the Super Eights mm. because it's it's playing consistently against Absolutely. top teams. Yeah, but I mean, I think we could see you can start to see some kind of a transition back to what mm-hmm. what we all think Mead football. And it's not just about toughness and stuff, but it's about, it's about leadership and skill yeah. and is, yeah. bravery and all those things. Yeah, and go on, sorry, Colin. Yeah, like it, it sounds cliche, but it's it's about the, the jersey meaning something again. Yeah. Do you know, and like I mean, I, I've, I've you want it, it should mean something. To wear that jersey, you should, you should, you should kind of be a, I won't say a pillar of society, but in your community, you should be proud, and people should be proud for you to wear that jersey. And maybe that wasn't always there, but it seems to be now it's coming back. And also that the, the there was always the impact that that jersey had on the teams that you were playing mm-hmm. against. Absolutely, yeah, that definitely yeah. was a factor. Yeah. The key, the key pack jersey used to be yeah. used to be the fear. Maybe we need to get key pack back on board as a sponsor. I'm sure uh, maybe wouldn't be too happy about that to, to, to be talking about key pack coming back in. But yeah, certainly uh, as you say, it's nice to have a little bit of a nod to the past in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Very finally, John, the last couple of minutes that we've got left before the news. Um, the big story, I suppose, probably one of the biggest stories in the history of Irish sport it really has been this FAI fiasco in the last whatever since that story broke in March and it doesn't really show any any sign of, of going away It's this is going to rumble on for quite a while Yeah I mean it's very much uh, a few is it last Friday week when the the, the, the f- Accounts finally were were presented, and you know we got a, a bottom line figure of a net debt of around fifty five million. Now there had been talk in the weeks before they came out that figure of fifty to sixty million was was running around on the rumor mill, um, but it was still pretty shocking when it was confirmed that the association is fifty five million in debt. We must remember the FEI is a company, it's a registered company limited by guarantee, it has obligations and it is in serious trouble if it was, you know, if, if it didn't have the affection of being or the kind of the romanticisation of being involved in football, I, I think it would be very close to going under. As it is, it can't be far off it. Uh, at the presentation of the accounts, the talk was, look, we've now we've reached rock bottom, we start again from here and we start to build you know, a lot of us that have been working on this story for a long time, uh, I think I've been writing about it since around 2012, aren't convinced that we've reached rock bottom yet. You know, we haven't got this year's accounts, obviously they haven't been done yet. So is there further debt there? We're afraid there might be a little bit more debt there. They've sought an urgent meeting. They're going in to meet the, the Minister and Junior Ministers for Sport tomorrow. The speculation is that they're basically going in saying we need money to keep going on a day-to-day basis to get us through for the next few months. And I think it's as serious as that. If any one of their creditors come calling, uh, they're in serious trouble. I don't think they're going to get that money, uh, certainly not straight away, and I don't know that the taxpayers would, would endorse the FEI getting money at the moment the way it's run mm. there still seems to be a refusal to face up to fully uh, what caused this and what, what they need to do to change mm. I mean the fact that okay the the, la- the two outstanding board members have now indicated that they're, they're stepping down but remember that the new board members that are going to replace them are being picked from the same gene pool yeah. we now have a, a, we, we now have a company that has to find 70 million say has to find 70 million 
and doesn't appear at the moment to have the expertise in place mm. to try and start the stairs uh, out of yeah. where it's at. It's not just one of the biggest sporting scandals in the history of the state, but in terms of financial scandals, uh, you know, when you take the move the Quinn thing and the banking thing to one side, which were fairly, you know, hard to beat. Mm. This is as big a scandal as we've had in, in corporate history yeah. in Ireland. No, it's incredible really and it's as we said it's gonna it's gonna rumble on and it's again it's another one we could probably have talked about for another twenty minutes or half an hour. But uh, listen, that's all the to- all the time we have in this hour for the, for this discussion. Thanks so much for John to John Green and the column Nally for popping in for a chat that hour went very quickly. LMFM Sunday Sport. Your sport, your station.